Continuing our series in 1 Peter, uh, we're now coming to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. Just very quickly, we have understood Peter is writing to people who are spread across what is modern-day Turkey and five Roman provinces in churches of God to write to encourage them in difficult days because uh, they're under persecution and... Um, they're being maligned by the pagans around them. And there maybe is the tendency for some of them to think it's too much. We should just give up on this and go back uh, to an easier life. Uh, Peter is appealing to them uh, to remain strong in what it is that God has done for them. And we considered the section as well about the appeal to them to be holy in their living in chapter 1. The sense of that really was Peter saying, you live a holy life before God, who is the one who has saved you. That's the main sense of that section. You be holy before the one who is holy, who has made you holy. And then he goes into what you would have considered last week, um, about a holy people gathered together, to be so precious to God in their service. Holy as individuals, yes, but God has a purpose to gather those he has saved to himself together into service together. And Peter's letter is pervaded with this emphasis on service for God and what that looks like today in our lives as we would live individually before God and before people around us, but together in churches of God, forming the house of God, which was the early section of 1 Peter 2. And the section we're going to read now in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, to the end of the chapter, Peter is going back to the theme he'd already started about holy living. But he's coming at it from a different angle this time and saying, you're to live a holy life before God, yes. And you're together in something that is holy to God and for God, in churches of God forming the house of God. But now this is what it looks like when you're living in this world. So the title for today's talk is simply Foreigners and Exiles, because that's how he begins this section. Read with me, if you would, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. <laughs> Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We see Peter's loving heart in his appeal now, having told the people gathered in these various churches of God how precious they are to God and what it is that they are putting into visible effect, how precious that is to God, he says, dear friends. And later in the letter, he will refer to himself as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd. Peter is one who is fulfilling the Lord's command to him to feed and to tend his lambs and his sheep. And here's his appeal to them, dear friends. Love you very much. What does he say? As foreigners and exiles. Here's the reminder of the opening verses of uh, the letter. He's reminding them again. You're just passing through. This is not your permanent home. You're foreigners in a foreign land. You're exiles. There is something that is greater that is yet to come. Foreigners have, in a sense, limited rights when they go to another country. We need a passport so that we can appeal to the, uh, our own countries if something is to happen to us. And uh, yes, we can rely on the laws of the land in which we might be visiting, but we don't have the full rights of citizens uh, of that nation unless you obtain citizenship, as some have done, and some may have dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship here in whatever country we, we live in, and a passport is a means of, uh, of demonstrating that. But those of us who have faith in Christ... And Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Peter knows the same thing. And he says, you're just foreigners and exiles passing through. So don't become caught up with the things of the world around you that actually will deny what you claim to be and where you claim your citizenship to be. If you go to another country and you end up just living like the people in another country with a different culture. Um, you can go to some places in the world and the culture is entirely different to ours. Some people say that we should, and people who come to our country, they should assimilate and they should take on our values, but they have a cultural heritage which they would have to reject and leave behind. Do you get the sense of it here? Uh, Peter is saying, you have a culture, believers in the Lord Jesus, citizens of heaven, those who are gathered together in churches of God, you have a culture, you, you have a value system which is so different from that of the world that you're passing through. You're foreigners, you're exiles. This is not your permanent home. This is passing away. The Lord Jesus himself said that. That what we see around us will, will be done away with because under the judgment of God at the very beginning when sin came in, the whole of creation um, was subject to a curse. And Paul's the one who speaks of it groaning uh, with pain, in pains like childbirth, longing for the day when it will be released. When, and Peter's the one who takes us into the consideration of everything being burned up and the new heavens and the new earth being brought into existence. 
in which righteousness dwells. And those whose citizenship is secured through Christ in heaven will have a place in the new heavens and the new earth. So that's our home. But for now we're passing through. But we have to live with respect, do we not? Verse 11. We could spend a long time on this. What does he say? As foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He goes right to the matter of holiness again and says the very core of your being your soul the seat of your emotions the thing that makes you tick that which is what you are as a person yes we're body soul and spirit but the soul is the essence of who we are he says abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul christ has come to save our souls he has come to bring us to himself He's come to release us from the bondage to sin. We'll come on to that in a moment in the matter of freedom. So here Peter says, you abstain from sinful desires. We all have desires. As human beings, we're programmed and built to have desires. The trouble comes when the sin that still is resident in those that have been saved from the penalty of sin there still is a power of sin in our experience. When sin gets in and twists our desires, it will take us away to do the things which are contrary to the holy things that God says give him delight and are the best things for us. So it's not wrong to have desires. It's when those desires are allowed to pursue something that's twisted in the sinfulness of our fallen nature. But what is glorious in this passage is that Peter is saying, you've been set free from the slavery to sin. You once had no option but to pursue the desires of sin. Paul goes into this at length as well. He said you had no option before you came to know Christ, before God stepped in and redeemed your life, wakened you up to the glory of who he is in Christ, who gave himself on the cross to suffer the punishment for sin. When you've received that by faith, then you're set free from this bondage to sin which you could not escape from yourself. So here is Peter saying, you abstain now, you stop. You have the power to do it by the grace of God. So it's important to see that Peter is telling us to abstain. Many of us will know that it's not enough just to say no. To say no to something that is something that satisfies the, the sinful aspect of our being. It's not enough to just say no to it because it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. Abstaining is saying no, but changing the mind and the attitude to look on something else. And that's where Peter takes us. He says, you look to Christ and what he has done. <clears throat> There's your reminder of what the sacrifice of Jesus is all about. You think on that. Don't just say no. Positively turn your mind to thinking about what God has done. And the sin that would twist our desires. We can abstain because there's something far better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. We have the glory of God in Christ Jesus. It's wonderful. We're actively to preach to ourselves about the glories of God in Christ Jesus our Saviour. He's the one who gave himself to redeem our lives. We've been there already earlier 
in Peter's letter. He said, you were redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and blemish. And what was it? It was to live a holy life. That was the purpose. Yes, it was to save. But in the context of Peter, I think we're seeing here, it's about the life that we live presently and before the reality of our homeland is going to be ours forever. We have the power in the freedom that God gives to overcome sin by abstaining and saying no, but looking to Christ. For years I've just raced over the next little phrase which says, um, abstain sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We live in a world where the horrors of war are before us on TV screens, on our computer screens, on our phones. It's horrific. War is horrific. And we see those that are engaged in the wars, those that may be the perpetrators or those that are um, the people engaged in it and fighting factions and so on, what it does to them. We see those that we may say are the innocent that are caught up in it, the, the horrors of war. And the people to whom Peter was writing would know something of the horrific strength of the Roman Empire and the brutality that was associated with it. And maybe when Peter was writing, Emperor Nero had just taken the throne. He was the emperor and he would soon take out his anger on the Christians. And tradition would tell us that he was responsible for the, the death of Peter himself. Here is the brutality of war. It's mentioned and we just race over it. Which wage war. Sinful desires wage war against your soul. It's an horrific thing. That when we don't do what Peter says. And we don't abstain. It comes in and it ruins life. If it's unchecked. And we don't just say no. We look to that's the appeal of Peter here. As foreigners and exiles, remember where your homeland is. Don't allow your desires to pursue a sinful line. Say no and look to Christ. Because if you don't, then it's going to be horrific for yourself and for other people. Because the consequences of war touch so many. It's not just the soul. There will be others around us as well. He then goes on to say, And live such good lives that the people that you're living with may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's a notoriously difficult Greek phrase to understand at the end of it. On the day he visits us is how the NIV has translated it here. Or it might be on the day of his visitation. It could be that our lives, abstaining from the sinful desires, which wage war against our soul, living life that we might honour God in our holiness that Peter has already appealed to, in our service together, as people forming the house of God and churches of God, as people see that, they would glorify God. Either, there's two ways to interpret, either on the day that um, the Lord Jesus comes and there will be people who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus because they saw something in our lives on the day that he visits us. Or it might be that they glorify God. This is the second interpretation, which I probably favour. On the day that God himself intervenes in that person's life and they suddenly come to realise what he has done for them in Christ. You've got the two senses there. I favour the second, but we can't be dogmatic on it. Our lives lived in service, individually and collectively, 
so distinctively different from the culture and the value system of the world around us is the means by which, one of the means by which God will touch the lives of others. And it may be the case that somebody would say, have, you've heard this before. People have said, I wish I had a faith like yours. And I said, this is how you have it. Look to the Saviour. Our job is to point to him. And you say that my life is lived this way, not because I'm doing my best to try and impress God, but because God has saved me that I can live in this freedom. That is what God has saved us for. We don't look to ourselves. As Paul said, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ. So our actions lived in this way might be the means by which someone will say one day, I've come to glorify God because I've seen the change that is made in your life. Be encouraged by that. Live, in such, live such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us or the day that he comes and unmistakably visits somebody to bring salvation into the experience. Now, I'm just going to say this. Uh, I'm not one who says that it's enough for us just to live a good life and hope that people will see enough that they come to faith in Christ Jesus. That's not what the scriptures tell us. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. A witness has to speak. A witness has to speak. Paul is the one who says that faith comes by hearing the message and the message is the word of Christ. So the two go hand in hand. It's faith and works. We're jumping around here into James as well. But it's there in scripture, the two things together. Our word is to be matched by our lives. And our lives is to be matched by what we say. Integrity as those who are saved. The means by which in God's grace and in his purpose, we might be the means by which others are reached for the gospel. We speak of Christ. We live like Christ. The two things together. So let's not say it's enough. Oh, I'll just live a good life and people will see I'm different. There's a lot of people who live much better lives than I do in this world. And by the world's estimation of good, and even we might say in a biblical measure of good, their lives are much better than mine. But yet they don't know the Saviour. They have nothing to speak of. I do. And you do as well. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I'm going to have to deal with this very quickly. One evidence of living a very good life and being distinctive is not to... Uh, Paul goes into this section and says... Uh, not Paul, Peter. He says, um, don't use your freedom as someone who has been released from the slavery of sin to then do the things of sin. He's following a similar thing that Paul has said. Don't, don't do things that go against the law of the land. So submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. You don't say, well, because my citizenship is in heaven, I can drive at whatever speed I like down the A34 on the way home. I'm pointing to myself. Um, don't think you can go out and walk into a shop and take whatever you want off the shelves and take it away. You have to submit yourselves to every human authority, the emperor and those under his rule, that's particular to them, because God tells us here, and Peter says, that God has put them in place so that they may be the means that law and order would be preserved in a nation. So you honour the laws of the land. But, I have to say this, there may be occasions, and there may be some countries, where the laws of the land would go against, very directly, the things that Christians must honour first, which is God's things. If that ever would come, then we, 
have to be those who, you might have noticed, are conscious of God and therefore have to honour God first. And that might mean we will have to disobey the laws of the land which are set against the things of God. You go back to the wartime, America, UK, uh, First, Second World War, Vietnam War and so on, uh, conscientious objectors is one aspect of it. There was a draft where the men were called forward to go and fight. But those who were conscious of God in this, their citizenship in heaven, their value system with God, would say no. And would suffer the consequences of that. There would be ridicule. I didn't know this of uh, my uncle, but he was one who, during Vietnam War days, had to do menial tasks. And was ridiculed for it because of his stand for God's things. Now, we don't have time to develop that any further, but we have to recognize that God is the one. Daniel was the one who said it. Daniel 2, 20 and 21, he says, Peace, uh, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And that was after he'd been given an understanding of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, which showed that Nebuchadnezzar was one king and then there would be another kingdom after him and another kingdom after him and another kingdom after him and yet a future kingdom. There would be four more kingdoms after the kingdom of Babylon into the future, yet to be entirely fulfilled. And Daniel said he's the one who raises up kings and deposes them. God has put people in positions of authority and we might wonder sometimes why he has put the people that he has in positions of authority. But as Christians, we are to honour God. And that will be honouring the laws of the land, provided those laws do not tell us to do something which contravenes the law that God has given us to live holy lives. We can't spend any more on that. He then goes into slaves. And we're finishing very quickly. Slaves, we can take this maybe as being in a workplace, though it would have been maybe a bit more harsh back then. Than, well, maybe some of your workplaces are harsh. Maybe you have bosses who are just hideous people to work for. Or maybe you've got some that are very good. Maybe you've got some that beat you. If that happens, you need to go to the law of the land. No, you get, you get the point here. Uh, Peter is saying that don't use your freedom to, to do things outside of the law of the land. Honour God by honouring the institutions he's put in place. When it comes to the workplace um, and where someone may have an authority over you, it applies to the kids in the school as well, um, you, you do good. He says, you do good. And he says, if you're looking for encouragement to do the right thing, when it seems that actually to do something a little bit wrong, which will then make my life a little bit easier, nobody will know about it, and my integrity is not going to be impinged or impeached that much, and so on. Don't go there, he says. You be true to who you are, whom God has made you. And people will see it. And your managers will see it. Your bosses will see it. And after the initial bit of uh, abuse that you might get in a new environment, then you will be honoured. That encouragement is there. How many times I've heard people say that whenever they've gone into a new situation, started a new school, of, uh, new, school new school year, they've gone into new employment or something, and they haven't declared that they're a Christian in the early days, it becomes so much more difficult to do it later. Get in there at the beginning and say, this is, this is who I am. And having said that, then you live to back it up. And there will be ridicule. And I've known ridicule that's lasted for a week. But after that comes respect. It does. It comes. 
It's hard for those initial awkward times. But respect will come because your employers will see that you have an attitude to work and life. Which maybe supersedes that of others. Because you're not just after yourself. What does Peter then say? Look to Christ. Never did anything wrong. Lived the perfect life. He suffered for you, leaving you an example. He didn't utter any threats. He didn't retaliate. He gave himself, all the while entrusting himself to the God who judges justly. He knew that there would be ultimate justice in the future. And he relied on God to be the one who would bring vengeance where it was appropriate. We're to do the same. Now seeing then this section about the Lord's sacrifice in this context changes a little. We, we do extract it and we take the joy of he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Yes, he did do that. But in this context, it's here to show that it's for our freedom that we might honour God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins, sinful desires, and live for righteousness. I want to finish on this. Notice at the end. It says, as sheep you've returned. Peter had his mind, in his mind Isaiah 53 all the way through this little last section. And he says at the very end of it, he says, you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That takes you back to the very start of the little section of thought. That's, this is why we, we work in sections in scripture because people have got things they're, they're trying to begin and conclude. He says, you abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You do the work there, looking to Christ. But all the while you know that the one who died to give you the freedom of citizens of heaven who asks you to live this life of testimony before him, he is the one who is the shepherd and overseer or guardian of your soul. He will provide all you need. He will lead you where you need to be led. He will guard your soul. So all the while, you can rest assured that God is in absolute control and has you and will never let you go. Christ died so that you might know that. So we live knowing that assurance, but putting it into effect by saying no and looking to him as our example. Let's pray.